morning, church. My name is Ashley Jackson, and this is my husband, Job, and we're covenant partners here at FPC. We continue worship by reading God's word and celebrating God's faithfulness to keep his promises. God is sovereign to protect his promise even when we live fearful, self-protecting, and idolatrous lives. God is faithful when we are faithless, and God's substitutionary work is the vehicle for his provision to keep his promise. Hear the word of God. From Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to uh, sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the, princess, uh, when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The The grass grass withers, withers, the the flower fades, but but the the word word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning, everybody. That was just okay. Can we try that again? Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to worship with you this morning. Uh, The passage we're going to unpack is in your bulletin. There's some spaces below it to take notes. Uh, And if you would like to follow along in the Bibles that are in your pew, please do so or on your phone. The hope for this time is that the Spirit of God really uses the Word of God as we worship a living God to transform and conform believers more into the image of God so that we can leave to more faithfully and fruitfully live our lives for the glory of God. I uh, am glad to be with you this morning. If my voice goes out or I just start miming everything, it's because my body hit the exhaustion point after the men's retreat this weekend. Uh, You'll see this picture. We were able to have 135 men go from our church out into the hill country, and many of whom are are coming back. Uh, It looks like a mass of humanity because it is, and it was. Uh, It was a lot of fun, uh, but the focus for now is not on this picture. It's really in the Word. The Word of God, uh, we're going to walk through this passage, uh, and we're going to celebrate God's promise, the reality of His sovereignty that protects His promise. And what is central to that is His submission, Jesus Christ's submission to the Father and His substitution on our behalf. 
But first, it's important that we note that in our slide of society, a culture that is shattered because of a lack of keeping promises, a lack of integrity, we need to just acknowledge it's hard to trust an authority that makes a promise and guarantees it by their word. Our countries in an election season, you don't have to try real hard to find a promise that you don't trust. <laughs> They're everywhere every day. Unfortunately, that's become the norm of our society. But it isn't just contemporary reality. This has been something throughout history. You don't have to look very far. It was 1938 in the Munich Agreement where the international community made, made Hitler promise that if they just gave him a few pieces of land, he wouldn't go after all of Europe. He didn't do it. Uh, he, I mean, he, he, he didn't honor his promise. He, he did go after all of Europe and more. Uh, we have no reason to trust uh, promises that are made uh, by international uh, authorities, uh, people like North Korea that promise to not have a nuclear program, or Iran who enters into an agreement. Um, there's no reason for that. Uh, we live in a world where Russia, just a few years ago, surrounded the western border of Ukraine and, and said that they promised it was just a military exercise. <laughs> no, it was a first step in war. And so when there's a slide of a trust and a confidence in the words of authority, it's easy for us to impose that on the authorities of our life. But it's not just the international community. It's, it's really uh, uh, you know, even companies, economic promises that are made. Now, some of them are reliable. Our speaker this weekend at the men's retreat, his name was Glenn Ostell, and he uh, showcased some of his L.L. Bean boots. He says uh, he's had the same kind of boots for 25 years because they make a promise that anytime you want a new pair of boots, you can send them back in and they've done it. He's gotten four or five different pairs in 25 years. Okay, so maybe sometimes companies keep their promise. But you're surprised by that because it's so abnormal, right? It's just rare. We live in a world where the Enrons, the, the corporations uh, of our world, make promises for things like transparency. And when they break that promise, it ends up collapsing the whole company and countless people's futures in the process, people who trusted their promise. So why would we trust a, a promise from a company like Meta who says that they will keep your data secure and private, right? Really, socially, the fabric of society is ripped apart. It is really shattered when trust is shunned, when integrity is put on the back burner. There is fuel of a suspicion that is fueled, conflict that is cultivated, and there are power grabs from people that are just trying to get more and more turf. You know, our temptation as believers is to impose this social norm. This social norm that unfortunately hits very close to home for many of us. Many of us who have friends that have made promises and let us down. Spouses that have made promises and broken them. Parents who made promises and did not keep them. We have this temptation to impose this lack of trust, this suspicion of authority onto God himself. As if God will not protect his promise and be faithful to his promise, and that the reality of the pain and the problems of our world are the comprehensive reality of 
our story. The gospel invites us to take our eyes off of ourselves, to lift them above the authorities, the fallible authorities of this world and of your relationships, and to put them on the ultimate authority. The, the choice that is very poor is for you just to become cynical. Someone left the last service and they said, you know, I find that when I let myself be let down by the promise, empty promises of the world, when I trust the, the, the uh, empty promises of society, I find myself becoming cynical. And I impose that on my faith. I have a hard time being grateful. And I agree, that's, that's, that's what can happen. But the invitation is not to move towards cynicism, but is to allow your heart in the eyes of your faith to look upon the one who is faithful. God is sovereign, and he promises, and he has proven that he will protect his promise. And he guarantees this reality not based on your performance, but based on his substitutionary work. We're going to have two key words that carry us through this. I'm going to ask you to repeat them. The first word that's going to carry us is sovereignty. Can you say sovereignty? sovereignty. That was okay. Let's try the next one. The next word is substitution. Can you say substitution? substitution? That was a little bit better. We're waking up a little bit. Here's the first point. God is sovereign to protect his promise. Again, there's notes, a place in your bulletin where you can take notes. You see, God had made a promise to Abraham and to Sarai. He had promised, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, that they would have an offspring. They would have a child. And that they would have a land, the land of Canaan. But where we pick up in the story we realize that Sarai, she's barren, she can't have a child, and that there was a famine in the land. And these tough circumstances led Abram and Sarah not only to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt, but to cause them to have suspicion in God and his faithfulness to keep his promises. And the first part of, of what we see in God's sovereignty to protect his promise is that he protects it from our faithlessness and our fear-driven life. You see, Abraham, Abram at this point, and Sarai, they're not being irrational. They actually have real stress. They actually have real fears. And there's potential that there could be real trouble if Sarai, the beautiful woman, is taken by Pharaoh and Abram is killed. Their circumstances were full of tension. But their decision was absolutely horrible. And this is what happens when we become reactionary and we make decisions that are self-protecting. Rather than trusting the promise and the power of God, we allow our faithlessness in God, or rather our faith in the wrong things that we look to to give us what only God can give, and the fear of our life to allow those things to, to drive our decisions. Abram realized that he was going to be in real trouble because his wife was a babe. She was good looking, and everybody knew it. And Abram was worried that if he went down to the land that Pharaoh would kill Abram and take Sarai and put her in the harem. Now this is very, very interesting because Abraham's lack of faith and his fear-drivenness drives him to make a poor decision. God saves his sovereignty, protects us from our faithlessness and fear. 
But he also protects us from the self-centered and self-protecting directions that we often go. Look down at verse 13. It really is a phenomenal verse. And we see the heart of Abram's selfishness. He says to Sarai, he says, Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life will be spared for your sake. You see, Abram is not protecting Sarai. He hands her over to a harem where she could be exploited, where she could be killed. Why? So that he would be okay. Bottom line, this is a transaction. A transaction for self-preservation and protection. And we will see that Abram even profited from this. That when Sarai had been taken into the harem, the Pharaoh gave him all kinds of treasures and animals. A husband sending his wife into harm's way. If you don't feel the tension of this text, you're not really engaging it. This should make you feel very, very uncomfortable. But it should also feel a little bit familiar because we live in a world where, where men uh, surrender to a, a machismo culture and they use women in transactional relationships so that they experience a secure status or get some sort of self-gain or so that they'll feel somewhat better about themselves or more self-confident. And they just transactionally relate to women, and there's real pain involved in that. Men that live from a poverty of identity that have to find their worth and maybe who they're with, a, a poverty of security, a poverty of hope, a deficit of love from the Lord, so they use people transactionally, so they, they have a, a sense of love, treating women like commodities. There's a sense of familiarity to this in our culture, unfortunately, and we need to be honest with that. But it's not just men who can identify. Everybody can identify with this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know the temptation to live by what you see and to transactionally trade the 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 potency of God's promises for your own sense of preservation. You do it all the time. Think about what you do with your status. God promises in Christ you have a secure status in him, but you kind of trade that transactionally because you want to have a very felt secure status in the world. It matters what I do. It matters where I live. It matters who I'm with. God promises to give us total security in Christ, but, but what do we do? We just kind of push that to the side, and we look horizontally for security in this world. We do the same thing that they do, and we could impose this same contrast on where we look for our strength or where we find our significance. And the gospel frees us from looking in all these empty places to get what only God can give us. Now, of course, there's a short-term payoff. The short-term payoff for Abram was that he was secure. He wasn't killed. But the long-term casualty, is, is the, the, there's no return on investment on this. Like his wife could have been impregnated by Pharaoh. God's promise could have been in jeopardy. He acted selfishly, and so do we oftentimes. But God is faithful to protect his promises, even in the face of our living for self-preservation, our self-centeredness, and our self-protection. 
But he also is sovereign to protect his promise in the face of our idolatry of comfort. God is not going to jeopardize his promise by allowing Sarai to be harmed in the harem. We see that. He protects her because he protects his promise. But this is in spite of Abram's sinfulness. You know, Abram wanted comfort. He didn't want to have confidence in God's covenant faithfulness. He wanted to feel safe. We do this all the time. We don't stand for truth knowing God's promises and his sovereignty because on me and the church, we've sold a discipleship that doesn't cost us anything. Some of you have already emailed in response to our Sanctity of Life interview. It's a Sanctity of Life Sunday. We did an interview on Friday, and we were interviewing uh, Dr. Ingrid Scott, celebrating a theological perspective on life, and, and she had a strong indictment for Christians, something that I think ties directly to Abram. We really believe that following Christ should make us comfortable, that following Christ should be free from pain and from problems. But God never promises comfort when we follow him. In fact, he calls us to take up a cross. But God does promise peace in the midst of our problems and pain. God doesn't promise a world that's fallen before Christ comes back with an absence of conflict. But he does promise his presence in the midst of it for his people to give peace. We have the power to claim the authority of God's promises, his truth, his design, and to not surrender our faith in Christ for faith in what is comfortable here today and gone tomorrow. God guarantees his promises. Uh, any of you ever bought anything from Best Buy before? Best Buy, a few hands go up. No, this is not a product placement for L.L. Bean and Best Buy. It's just not. They're just companies that make promises. You know what Best Buy's slogan is? Best Buy's slogan is, we make technology deliver on its promises. Really? Then why do you encourage me to buy a warranty if the technology breaks down? Right? If you make technology deliver on its promises, then why am I agreeing with you that it's not going to do that and I need to pay extra for my protection? You see, no company, no authority in our world no, no place that promises comfort and security and status will deliver. But God can. And God is sovereign. Even over our sin and our struggles, he gives an extended warranty that's an eternal life guarantee through his promise. And he guarantees it through his substitutionary work. This is the second word, substitution, substitutionary, and the second point. God's substitutionary provision is how his promise is pushed forward. Now, if you look at Abraham, you say, Mitchell, surely you're not going to say, be like Abraham, right? Abram. And you're right, I'm not. If the moral of this story was be like Abraham, then all of our marriages are in trouble, our relationships are in trouble, things are wonky. God doesn't hold Abram up here as an example. Abraham's not saved by his moral performance, and neither are you. Abraham, it's clear in, in Genesis 15, 6, and then emphasized by the Apostle Paul in Romans 4, Abraham is made righteous. Abraham is made right before God by faith 
in faith alone. Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? But it was, it's hard, once you're saved by faith, to really live by faith, isn't it? Because our circumstances are so tough, and we've lost trust in authority, that God's actually going to keep his promises. And many people, even in our world today, have lost trust in the authority of the church because of broken promises and abuse. Friends, do not impose that on God. God is faithful when we are faithless. And we have the opportunity to feel the security of God's promise through his substitutionary work. Abram was saved by the work of another, that's Jesus Christ. And, and this is highlighted by how the New Testament reflects upon Sarai. And if you have a Bible, if you're able to open it to 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to look at how Peter talks about Sarai. Now, Peter is writing what he calls a group of elect exiles. These are Christians that are living in a world of persecution. There is wickedness and evil and in the emperor palace in Rome, and they are systematically trying to wipe out Christians. And he is writing Christians. He starts off talking about joy and struggles and pain, and he, he begins to move towards, in 1 Peter chapter 2, what it means to live as citizens of another place, even while we're on earth. He, he talks about being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, what he calls a people belonging to God. God's own possession, who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And our call, the opportunity we have to proclaim that in all of our life, in all of what we say with our lips, in all of our loves. And he uses this paradigm of submission. Now, centered on Jesus Christ, he expands the application of trusting God's authority. Get this to submit to political and governing authorities, even in pagan Roman Empire. And then from that, he talks about submitting to economic authorities, to employers, even those who are unjust. And then he moves to this place where he uses Sarai as an example of surrendering to relational, submitting to relational authorities. And this is where it begins to get uncomfortable. I mean, uncomfortable. He talks about Sarah as an example of wives submitting to husbands. Now look, culturally, I understand it's not real savvy or popular to talk about wives submitting to husbands. My temptation is to join a, a whole barrage of commentators and writers to talk about what submission is not. And, and we should mention it. Submission is not making your spouse your God. Submission is not losing our independence or dignity. Uh, submission is not... It is not subjecting yourself to abuse. It is not doing everything your husband says and being a doormat. But this passage, this text, is concerned with informing us on what submission is. It puts it in a very positive light because ultimately it points to Jesus Christ. The stated purpose of the submission of the substitution is so that others who are unbelieving, unbelieving governors, unbelieving employers, unbelieving husbands, would see the conduct of the submitting person 
and know Christ and follow the word of Christ. Now, this was really risky for Peter to call Christian women to do in the early New Testament days. Why? Because in Roman culture, it was understood, this whole, this whole category called paterfamilias, where the husband, it's documented in multiple places, the head of the house had the authority of life and death over everyone, even in the house. And so for Peter to say, for women to submit to their husbands, even when they're unbelieving, is extremely uncomfortable. But listen to what he says in how he uses Sarai as an example. We'll just read verses 5 and 6. Paul says, This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed everything, calling him Lord. Do you feel uncomfortable? You should. And I want to invite you deeper into the tension because you will have a more clear picture of the gospel if you let yourself feel this tension. The point is not be like Abraham. The point is not even, I mean, be like Sarah. He's using Sarah as an example, but it's just a stepping stone to see the majesty of what Christ has done. So feel this tension. Like Peter's audience, we too Join Abram and Sarah as being refugees, sojourners in a foreign land with a threatening cultural powers. Like Peter's original audience, we too join Abram and Sarah by facing problems and pain and uncertainties in our world. It might not be barrenness and, and famine that drives us to a new place, but we know pain. We know problems. And like Peter's audience, we join Sarai and Abram with the temptation to live by fear and not by faith. To live in a way that's self-protecting and self-preserving rather than trusting God. And husbands in our world today, men in our world today, me in this world right now, we're like the husbands that Peter mentions in Abraham. We have a trouble trusting God and his promises. We have a difficulty in obeying God and his word. But unlike anyone in our world today, only like Jesus, Sarai submitted. You see, it's really bad leadership on Abram's part, really bad, to be so afraid for his own hide that he throws his wife into harm's way. A good leader is going to define reality and offer hope. And that hope is always in God's faithfulness, always in God's sovereignty, always in his protection, his provision. We read about his sovereignty in our call to confession when we looked at Westminster Confession, chapter 3, in our preparation. And when we confessed, we have, a trouble. we have trouble believing this. So what do we do about it? How do we know if we can't perform, how is God going to be faithful to protect his promises and give us. The answer is the substitutionary love that is seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, there's no record of Sarah's words to Abram. Not in Genesis chapter 12, not in Genesis 20, where it happens again. 
But Peter says that Sarah called Abram Lord. And in her silence, it's like she says to Abram, not my will, but yours be done. Sarah was silent, led away to potential exploitation and abuse. But it's as if her substitution in Abram's place says, my life for yours, my beauty can be defaced so you can have a beautiful status. My status can be lost so that you, you can be safe. You see, Sarai's submission points to a central component of God's mission, and that is Christ's submission to the Father for us and his substitution for us. The parallels are astounding and profound. Jesus, yes, he too was a sojourner. He left the throne room of heaven and he came to earth and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Yes, Jesus faced famine. Yes, Jesus faced authorities that oppressed him. Yes, Jesus faced dangers. But even 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil himself, he did not compromise. He was perfect and yet was without sin. Jesus was a man just like you, just like me. But unlike us, Jesus was perfect. He obeyed God's word fully. He fulfilled God's word fully. And then he went to the cross to die for, die for us faithfully, to substitute his self in our place, just like Sarai did for Abram. He was silent, the scripture says, led like a lamb to slaughter. He was beautiful, the exact image, the visible expression of the invisible God, marred, devastated to the point of death where people couldn't even look at the horror of his face so that you could be made beautiful and behold God's face through him from love. Jesus says, my life for yours, my status gone, so that you can have status as God's children, my beauty defaced so that you can be made beautiful. You see, the love of Jesus has shown that he sojourned from heaven so that you can be brought home to the Father. And he did this through substitution. Jesus is the Passover lamb who died and whose blood frees us from the evil power of this world and frees us for worship. Jesus, he himself is the scapegoat who takes our sins and removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and pays for our sins so that we can be made righteous in Christ. And faith in him is to see the substitutionary reality of Christ on your behalf as a guarantee. God has kept his promises, and he will keep his promises. God is faithful to forgive, and he will keep forgiving. God is faithful to show his love, his covenant care, and you can have assurance in that in this life now and eternal life to come. And he gives the promise of his Holy Spirit to all who believe, so not only do we celebrate a place of justification where we're made right before God, but we can have celebration and our sanctification and participate in his work of redemptive restoration until he comes back in the consummation and together for Forever with Christ, we are in a state of glorification. That will happen, my friends, because God is faithful. And it's not based on my work or your work, but the substitutionary work of King Jesus, who gave himself to the authorities of the world, of the devil, in your place and mine, so we can experience the good and beneficial authority of the Lord who keeps his promises, that, that is power.
That is beautiful. That is God's love for you, church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we're humbled by you and your substitution, your life for ours, the robbing of your beauty to give us beauty, the loss of your status to give us status, your death to keep the promise of God that we could have life in Jesus. Lord, thank you. We praise you. We believe. Would you help us with our unbelief, Lord? We ask, Lord, that seeds of faith would birth what is promised, a harvest of righteousness in our hearts and our home. We pray, Lord, for people who trust you like a caterpillar going into a cocoon to be the new creation you created us to be. Lord, help us to know that in you that winter will end and spring will come, that the storms and rain of our world will green and give beauty, and that the darkest hours are before the sun rises. We praise you, Lord, that we can stand securely because the Son of God rose and he will call us to rise with him in a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.